Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Once upon a time. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods with me, Ben Rimmelauer. Today's guest, Joanna Gleason. Joanna Gleason originated the role of the baker's wife in Into the Woods, from its Playwrights Horizons workshop through the Old Globe to its landmark Broadway production, for which she won the Tony Drama Desk and Outer Critics Circle Awards. She was also nominated for Tonys for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Joe Egg, and her other Broadway credits include Nick and Nora, Social Security, The Real Thing, and I Love My Wife. In addition to her numerous film and television roles as an actor, Joanna has directed the films The Grotto and Morning Into Night, as well as several network episodics. Well, I'm so grateful to you for talking to me. Um, obviously, no, no Into the Woods deep dive would be complete without, without you. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, I guess I'm just, I'd love to know your whole kind of journey. I know people hate that word now, but uh, with the show, I mean, when, when did the, or even before this came into your life, before this, what was your experience of Sondheim and Lapine? Had you met them? Had you been a fan of their shows? Had you auditioned for them? Well, yeah, certainly a fan of their shows. I mean, I, I think that when I saw, I saw Follies when I was still um, younger, before I moved to New York and I was living in LA and I saw Follies, I think it was at the music, it might've been at the music center or at, there was a, there was a theater in Century City and I don't, I can't remember. Oh, the Schubert. Yeah. No, Schubert. but I think you're right. I think it was at the, at the Dorothy Chandler. Might've been at the Chandler. Yeah. And and I had a friend who was in it that I'd gone to school with, Marty Marty Rain, Marty Rolf, her name was. Oh, yeah. Beautiful soprano and gorgeous, gorgeous voice. And I saw it and I, I I had this feeling that I that I couldn't name. I actually wrote about this once, about feeling like I was at the World's Fair with my nose pressed up against the glass of the house of the future. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's like there's a whole world of theater that is this oriented do you know what i mean instead yeah. of just wah and um and i don't know how to be part of it and and i would like very much to be part of it and then i saw a production of sweeney todd i mean honestly one sondheim show after another just rang every bell for me yeah and i hadn't met them i i think i possibly met steve um because my my then husband, when I came to New York back in 1981, having been here in the 70s to do my first Broadway show, I was then divorced, married again, and I was in New York, and he was friends with Judy Prince. He was Hal Prince's, Hal Prince's wife, and uh, she was close, had been close with my second husband. I was at one of those Christmas parties, and I think going down the stairs of the townhouse and coming up the stairs of the townhouse, there was Steve Sondheim. That was my first, yeah, yeah. And... Um, and then you were in the early pre-San Diego Playwrights Horizons workshop of Into the Woods. Yes. Correct. Correct. This is this is like very uh prehistory almost, like the amount of like records that exist of the these these incarnations. But so I'm glad to talk to you about that. Do you rem- did you get a call to audition or were you just asked to read? Yeah, no, no. I, I they were auditioning. It was actually on my birthday, uh in eighty 80- uh, six, it would have been, yes, um, yeah. to come and do, uh, come audition for Steve Sondheim and James Lapine. And I had, I had done a musical. I had done musicals, you know, in LA and in all the big venues, but I, now I was in New York. And when I would go to auditions, there were these girls who could sing, you know, I mean, I really, this was the land of big, amazing voices. And, and I thought, oh God, I don't even have a, I don't have a book with all sheet music. I was hideously underprepared <laughs> out of, out of a massive lack of confidence. Mm. So I just thought, well, no, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, but I went in and I had done on a clear day at the music center and we had toured with it with Bob Goulet directed by wow. Sir Alfred Drake, directed by Sir Alfred Drake. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I said, I can sing. What did I have that I don't have? And I, 
I said, but I, but I sang it so slowly that I thought I'm losing them. <laughs> there's, there's like some kind of soporific thing. And they said to me when I finished, do you have, did you bring an up-tempo song? Clearly in their minds, knowing that the baker's wife would have a, a faster metabolism. Yeah. Than this absolutely somnambulistic version of the song that I had just sung. <laughs> and I said, and this was, I talk about this, I've talked about this, this was a turning point in my life, a fork in the road. Um, I said, no, I don't, but I can sing this one really, really fast. <laughs> and so it might've been Paul Ford playing. I think it was. I just said, just play it as fast as you can. <laughs> and I sang it and they laughed. And then they said, will you do the workshop? I'm not then in there, but I got the call. Will you do the workshop? And that was it. And that what that was like a, a a couple of weeks or what was that process? Yeah, I was down at Playwrights Horizon, and I don't I don't think it was much more than a week or two. Um, and we did it for our small audience, you know, the the people who who, who come and the things that that James Lapine and Steve needed to know, you know. And it was, the second act was kind of amorphous; there wasn't really you know a kind of fully formed thing. So, but apparently it went well enough. Uh, and we then, <clears throat> the next thing I heard is that we're, and I went off and did a play. I did uh, Social Security. Mm. Had you sung in that reading or had that just been like fragments of the script? Yeah, I don't think, I don't recall. Now, this is also how many years? It was like 30. 35 years, 36. Yeah. 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 So half my lifetime ago, Ben. Okay. Wow. Look. Yeah. Half my lifetime ago, I do not recall whether I said. I don't think I did. If if anything, it would have been just the first song, but I I don't really think the score was a was finished. Um, did you die in that incarnation? Do you remember? You know, there were there was a death in San Diego where I went off stage after the Prince, and an apple rolled onto the stage, or an apple rolled onto the stage. I picked it up after my song took a chomp and left. And then the next thing you heard was that I had eaten a po never eat poison apples in the woods. That's how I died in San Diego. And we had a lot of talkbacks with the audience uh, at the Old Globe. And one night, and, and it happened more than once, somebody in the audience said, you know, we follow the baker and his wife. They're more closely aligned to us as protagonists. We're yeah. following them. They're, they're, hu they're humans. They're characters. They're not you know, they're not, they're not fairy tale characters. They're just fictional characters. Yeah. Uh, but then we feel cheated that she goes off stage and, and, you know, she's dismissed with an apple. And I thought I was sitting on stage and I thought, yeah, exactly. Mm. And I, I don't know how to say that, but that's how I felt. And I didn't certainly have any kind of real massive input, you know, like, I don't feel that that's right. But I think I did end up having this conversation with that. That's a long way to go to kind of disappear. Yeah. You know, and and be the butt of a joke of, about eating a poison apple. Right. And they, when we retooled it for for New York, the giant, the the it was a much more dramatic moment. Yeah, the giant killed her, and so then it had the it had the emotional heft of a real loss for the baker. Mm. You know, and the fear and the terror and the situation. So it was better all the way around. And the icing on the cake was that Steve and Jim had me come back in that little. Yeah come back as a, as a spirit, you know, come back as the baker's wife and sing to him. And that, that to me, that's when I could see people totally wrapping their arms around their children in the audience, you know, and tears, grown men. Yeah. yeah. Now, even in that, that first um, workshop at Playwrights, did you have the sense of this could be the role that could win me the Tony? This could put me on, I mean, that, did you have a sense of this, the, the impact this could have? No, I, and I'll tell you why, because I had been doing plays in New York um, and I had stood by in, in uh, the real thing and I got to go on in both parts and I thought, okay, this is great. And I did play off Broadway and at West Side Arts and, you know, had done, just was kind of chugging along that, that this was a musical, that this was a Sondheim musical and that this role kept flowering in front of my eyes. Didn't, I, I never went to the, oh, this is it, this is the, mm. I just thought I'm part of the best show I've ever been in. Mm. I am working with the best people I have ever worked with. 
and everywhere I look on stage is somebody more wonderful mm. than I could have imagined. It starts with Chip Zion, of course, and, yeah. and with, but everybody. Yeah. To a, to a person in that show. And what I also felt, and this is to Jim's credit, James Lapine's credit, apart from the book, none of us ever, everybody played the stakes of the story. Mm. Everybody in act one was enchanted, you know, oh, there's princes and there's witches and there, and everybody in act two was disenchanted. Mm. And the depth of that fear and the cynicism and the, you know, people turning on each other. We played those stakes and the audience went along, you know, following those characters closely and following that story closely. And I could feel it. I was part of a terrific play as well as a musical. Mm. I mean, that's so clear to me us now as fans of the you know finished show but what that was that something that that you could lock into right from the beginning of the development process that act one, I love the way you put it act one you were enchanted act two you were disenchanted yeah I mean we we could feel it you know in the rehearsal room uh, and honest to god you're working with you know two guys who are Pulitzer Prize winning you know they're up yeah. down there you know and and you just think they would not be sloppy in this endeavor. They're not just throwing together. You can't do that. Yeah. At these prices and the time that it takes, you know, for them to create these things. So yeah. I just felt, I don't know, blessed, fortunate and blessed. That That's so rewarding to hear also, because I, I read that amazing book, James Lapine wrote, putting it together about Sunday in the Park with George. And it's part of what made me want to do this podcast because I wanted that kind of granular sense of how Into the Woods came to be. Um, and uh, and I wondered if, you know, there's there's so much of actors feeling distraught in that Sunday in the Park with George process. And I thought, well, surely anybody on Into the Woods would think, well, they got it together that time. I, I trust them now. I mean, if, you know. Look at the, look at the context. I mean, you, you have a play about an artist, always difficult to do, plays about artists, you know, and movies about artists, just, it's like inside baseball. It's just, is it gonna land with, with the audience? You have George Surratt, not a cuddly character, no. right? You have, it's very visual. That's James's great, one of his great gifts. Um, you have the second act being, uh, you know, come with us, we're gonna take a real leap with mm. this. We're not gonna just give you pretty, pretty. I mean, every challenge, uh, they would, they threw every challenge they could, you know, at each other and at the audience. And for me, I, I think it's a masterpiece and I just, I just love it. So when you, when you then say, okay, we have another show, let's pitch this to you. It's about fairy tales. Well, okay. I'm in. Mm. It's not heavy lifting. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Of course it is. It is to make it as good as it is, but even just, even just the, 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 the pitch is, you know, it's not about George Surratt and everybody goes, and we couldn't Google them. <laughs> yes. What about it? That's a musical. Fairy <laughs> tales. It's got Cinderella. It's got, you know, Princes and Snow White and Jack and the Beanstalk and Little Red Riding Hood. And yes. Oh, and by the way, everybody gets decimated, you know. Yeah. But, but besides all those familiar fairy tales, there's, there's the baker's wife and the baker and, I was it clear from the I mean I think especially in that original production at least in terms of the 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 film preservation of it it's so clear that you are the audience's way in and that we we relate to you being you know not well, you they have that great line which I've heard you inspired this is ridiculous what am I doing here I'm in the wrong story but throughout there's a sense that your people we can we would see on the street in New York City. Even yeah, I, I said, Chip, I said to Chip and I were talking about we're like two, you know, Upper West Side Jewish people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Decided to take their bakery. You know, let's go here. It's cheap upstate. You know, <laughs> oh, there's a weirdo next door. All right, you know, like this. And we just we we were contemporary in that way, and fictional, but but quite contemporary in our relationship because. Um, all the other fairy tales, you know the outcome, and you don't know our outcome. Yeah, and and but so that contemporary quality was that something that was there in the early drafts, or did that come to to be developed? You know what? I think it's a little bit of both, but I know that Chip and I brought 
our friendship to that mm. and the way we were together. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, he's remained one of my greatest, greatest friends and, and all these years because we hit it off, you know, immediately there was a, a, a kind of shared ness about the world. We both had the, yeah. the same kind of, you know, same kind of perspective on the world and uh, known him long enough now to, we've all watched each other's kids get married and have babies and, you know, go through everything. And, and I said, yeah, you can't, it's very, it's very tricky with casting. You, you can't play, you can't forge as in a forgery. You can't forge chemistry. You can't. Yeah. It's there or it's not there. And we had it. Mm. And, and was, I guess the first time that was, you was in San Diego, right? Because he had not done that playwrights incarnation Correct. of the show. And then, um, so was that there right away from getting in, in the room? Yeah, work? I mean, we started rehearsals in New York. So we would start rehearsals in New York. And so mm. I thought, okay, he's, he seems uncomfortable. Somebody else had done it in the workshop. You know, let's go to lunch on the lunch break. So we, it was, um, we were down at West Beth. We were, that's where we were. Rehearsing. Oh, in the West Village. Yeah. yeah. So we walked to some restaurant. We sat down and, you know, we were talking about it. And I asked him how old he was. And he, he said something. And yet his wallet was there. So I grabbed his wallet. And I looked at his driver's license. And I said, you liar. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly how old you are. And, you know, that's been a thing ever since. But we, we, was it, we were able to break the ice really quickly. And, yeah. you know, I mean, he, you know how spectacular he was in that show. Mm-hmm. And I tell you to this day, he should have been nominated for a Tony. So crazy. Yeah, no, he absolutely should have been because we were like a salt and pepper shaker. I mean, that's, yeah. as you say, that's the audience hooks up with it. And then when, after The Baker's Wife is gone, he carries this thing through yeah. no more, through yeah. no more, and then through, you know, um, no one is alone in that quartet yeah. and throughout to the end. So anyway, he was robbed. For the last time, I am not on Ozempic. I made one little joke on this podcast, and everybody started calling me out, texting me, calling me cringe, whatever. I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic, and as I told them, I am not. I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine what are you waiting for with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you'll always have new flavors to explore crush your wellness goals this may with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from breakfast to dessert stay fueled with easy nutritious options treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp and blackened salmon and kitchen time is kept to a minimum they are ready in two minutes no shopping no prepping no cooking no cleanup enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories maximize protein intake avoid meat or just simply to eat well balanced head to factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 and use code giants in the sky 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month that's code giants in the sky 50 at factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month while your subscription is active and so, and when I understand that there was a lot of rewriting happening in the process in San Diego, mm-hmm. were, were, were there things that, um, like I saw on, there's a list of the songs on a website that you had a song in place of Moments in the Woods called Ready for the Woods. I don't remember that. And I don't remember if that was, I really don't recall that that's, or whether that was just a lyric change or whether it was a different song. I can't, ah. I don't think so. I know the witch had, uh, a couple of there were different witch songs. Like the boom crunch was yeah. in place. Yeah, that's right. And Cinderella's was slightly different. Yeah, Steps of the Palace was was something slightly different. Uh, there was another midnight. You know, um, second midnight. Second midnight was yeah. in previews. So there there was a lot of of tailor. That 
that song, Second Midnight, I, people have talked about that a lot. It, there's these demo recordings that exist of that. Um, it, it's actually, that's the other thing. Nobody can explain where these come from. They're, um, some of them were released on one of the reissues of the Broadway cast recording and others were on a Sondheim box set. And it's Second Midnight, an early version of Giants in the Sky, an early version of uh, On the Steps of the Palace called Back to the Palace. Back to the Palace, but sung by whom? It's well, it's they're they're sort of split up the parts. Like Maureen Moore sings the witch and the baker's wife. Ah. And George Lee Andrews is like the baker and the mysterious man. Yeah. And Betsy Joslin is Cinderella and Okay. So this is something people. Steve must have done, you know, just maybe as a sales tool. I don't know. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, maybe nobody knows when they're from or why they were done or who they were done for. But it's interesting to hear yeah. the second midnight because I recognize some of the um music from what you sing in the finale that maybe I just wasn't meant to have children. Don't say uh-huh. that, you know. And then there's also like a extended version of Children Will Listen that I think Sondheim wrote for Barbara Streisand that incorporates a verse from this that I guess- Oh, yes, yes, I've heard that other verse. Yes, I have heard that. Yeah, like, how do you say to a child in the night? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was the for the baker and the baker's wife to sing that I guess presumably you sang in San Diego yes, or- Yes, yes, that, that does come, bring a distant bell. Yeah, so much came and went. And you know, there are nights when- you just are told at half hour, that's out. <laughs> you know, this is it. I mean, I have stories about other shows where that was just a nightmare. But um, yeah, there were a lot of changes because these guys were gifted. Yeah. Nobody said, this is what it is. This is all I can do, you know, and uh, and just live with it. And uh, and w- would you say, like, for example, in San Diego, was, were they more free to make those while you were performing because the stakes were lower or did they have to be more careful? I think the stakes were actually higher out of town because there's, well, sure. Because you're, you're, you're thinking thumbs up or thumbs down, Mm. you know, is this going to work? And this is, that's why they had the talkbacks. What do we have here? Mm. You know, exactly what, what is it we have here? Um, Yeah. I, I do remember there were lots of changes, but of course the best memory of all is the night, uh, you know, Chip and I shared a car, a rental car. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cute. Yeah, to drive. I think we were all staying across the Coronado Bridge or something. We were all staying in Coronado. And uh, and so we had to share this car. And Steve said to um, Kim and uh, to, to everybody, Little Red and Jack and Cinderella and the baker, I've written the song in Act Two, which is No One Is Alone. And Wow. I'm going to play it for you. So come into this small rehearsal room, small sort of darkish, small rehearsal room with a piano. And since I had the car, you know, I need, so I was in the room too, because otherwise I wouldn't have a ride home. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Steve sat down at the piano and played and sang, you know, uh, No One Is Alone. And we could not breathe. And that's when I knew I'm part of something so powerfully simple and powerful and beautiful mm. and i'm listening to sondheim saying something that he just finished writing no it was unbelievable and then the next day we came to rehearsal and chip i don't know you've spoken to chip yeah you've talked yeah to, yeah because we shared a car we'd go over the, the this this bridge every day to get to rehearsals and one day we, I was, we were talking about the show and is it going to work and i wonder if it's going to be a success and i rolled down the window and a dollar bill flew in into the car as we are driving across the coronado bay bridge yes and i had that dollar i kept that dollar for years and years and years through through everything through the tonys through everything the money just flew in the window that that is the charm yeah yeah i mean uh and and you didn't even know that you were going to get to sing no one is alone at that point right it was i knew that i was i knew that that was for chip and that that i was already baker's wife had already died so when did that piece come in for, for you to sing that that beautiful reprise? Oh, you mean that that little, oh, that yeah. extra, I think that came in in New York. That came in in New York. So it got through the rest of the run in San Diego. I think so. I really, I really think so because San Diego was where I ate the poison apple and I don't think that that changed. And and that and that was a very different looking production in general. The design was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, what was was your were your costumes similar to what became the the look? You know, Anne Holdward did the did the costumes for New York, and they were 
gorgeous and yeah she had a budget a real big budget you know yeah. or whatever compared to San. but in, but i remember san diego's being really great i mean i remember the scenery making us feel that way you know you you adapt to your surroundings right. and commitment is no less total if it's bare bones or if it's you know yeah. multi-million dollar thing yeah. you can't play the scenery but even just outside of the budget question, I I, I guess because I've seen the Baker's, I'm sorry, the witch costumes were so was such a different take mm-hmm. uh, in San Diego. But I but I, but I'm asking, I guess the you guys were kind of along the same same lines consistently to New York from there, uh, as I recall. Yeah, and and then there was uh did did there, did you do you remember if did you get an offer to go into that next workshop or did you have to come in again or oh no no we were fairly secure that those roles were ours yeah and and did that and that felt confident based on how well it had gone there in San Diego I mean that must be an incredible feeling um but you did do another workshop then prior to Broadway that at 890 Broadway then is that right this is something in your research you would remember better than I I just think we went into rehearsal at 890 I don't remember having to sell it again that's funny. That's that's how Chip remembered it too. But I other people have talked about it as like a actual workshop where there was a month off before Broadway rehearsal started. Yeah, well, and, there there was a month off before Broadway rehearsals, but I don't recall there being another. And that um, you had three different endings of base, basically about the way the Baker's wife would die, or one where you didn't die, and then two other know. alternates that were rehearsed and you performed all three of them. That ring a bell. <laughs> well, and and that Betty, it was basically the Broadway cast, except Betty Buckley was the witch. Correct, Betty. Be, that's right. Betty started. There were creative differences, and then they called upon their Bernadette. You know, yeah, adored, and she came right in. And so you know, there was not a time when they were like Betty's out. We're casting the witch. It was just. I do not night. know the inner workings of that. Yeah. It just seemed that uh, that that Bernadette would be the the obvious and the easy and yeah. she's so professional and willing and you know adorable that it, I think I don't think there was a, a, a I don't remember I could be wrong but yeah. I do not know only only James would know yeah well he didn't remember or he was being diplomatic but but it did seem strange to me that they talked about having so much trouble casting that part all along and yet then it seems like the person they went with someone that wouldn't that have been the top of any list coming out of Sunday in the Park with George but yeah yeah I know I know um but since that time we've seen how many different which is how many different versions yeah. how many different you know it is in my opinion one of the hardest roles to sing that he ever wrote the witch yeah 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 and uh, yeah well um certainly there have been all kinds of takes on it since then. But I mean, one thing that also um, I've learned in this that I hadn't really been aware of is that um, there's such a rock star energy to that video. I mean, I I think of all the great, including the one where you and Ship did um, It Takes Two on Sondheim's 80th birthday. There's these great Sondheim tributes, especially as the years went on and he was even yeah. more and more revered. And there, there's some kind of energy like that in the Into the Woods video, which I don't think I understood until doing these interviews now and realizing that you all or many of you had left and came back just for this. That's right. Um, That's right. I've been down in, I've been down in uh, South Carolina in Charleston at the Spoleto Festival. And I heard, oh, my God, you know, PBS is going to film this. We get to rehearse. I think I can't remember a very short time of rehearsal yeah. and then it's all about cameras and things like that. And, but I hadn't done the show in a year, a year, a year and my wow. body remembered every move. Mm. I mean, every gesture, every move, it just came back. You know, I'm so glad that they, that they, that my kids and my grandchildren have had a chance to just watch that. And, and everybody else's kids and grandchildren. I mean, it's such a strange thing with Into the Woods. I mean, other shows are on film, but I think because James directed it for the camera too, it's so perfectly captured. And where other shows might have a iconic cast recording that yeah. hangs over future productions, we yeah. really, everyone knows this, all these performances backwards and forwards in the book scenes I mean I think about this every time I mean your performance most of all it's when I see any production of Into the Woods 
I remember how you said these lines that was so funny and so specific and so real all at the same time. And it's like it's like we're always comparing everything else to that because we've we've well, that that I mean that's just both the advantage and the disadvantage. The, yeah. the advantage is you live, you know, your thing that ephemera of theater, uh, you've now been preserved for generations. So so it, it lives, it's a reference point. And then the disadvantage is the, the people who come next. Yeah. You know, the, the the obligation to try to make it your own, which after a while you just have to give up and make, you know, and you do. Yeah. You do. And I've seen fantastic performers and you just think it, it has nothing to do with me. It's fresh because it's fresh to them. Yeah. But it's, I mean, I, I think for so many of us, that show is so seminal and people, it was the gateway drug to Sondheim or the gateway drug to musical theater. They did productions in college and high school and wherever. And then, and this, original production captured beginning, middle, and end like that with all of you just in such a peak form. Well, I will say this. I mean, in in, in seeing it 35 years later, and I've seen it many times, including this last one, this wonderful one. Yeah. Uh, the audiences are made up of a lot of people who have done these roles. Yeah. So there is, but but there is, the fourth wall comes down a bit and I it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. It becomes all about, I know that, you know, I played yes. that. And so the, 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 the noise and the um, audience has been uh, groomed since, yeah. since Star Search and America yeah. to, to just overreact all the time, even if a, there's a key change or a, a high note. And I just think then you don't care about the characters. You, it, doesn't, it could be any character. Yeah. You're just there for the pyrotechnics. And I think it's unfair to the terrific people on stage. Yeah. Trying to tell a story <clears throat> with a fourth wall. It's a very good point. I mean, there's there's moments watching these shows uh, where you, as an audience member, I can feel myself kind of drop into experiencing the story in that real, in the moment way. And there's moments when it's sort of like cataloging, oh, how did they do this? How did they do that? You know, what's she going to do? Um, when did you become aware that the the show, particularly in that video, had had that kind of impact? Oh, that's a really good question. I I think the, the first time I was aware of it was when several years later when I was in LA, when I we had moved back to LA, um, when I would go in to read for stuff or audition for movies or TV, there are these great writers and directors and they're all referencing, mm. they'd all seen, not necessarily the show on Broadway, but they'd all seen and they're playing it, you know, for their kids. And I thought, really? And I, one <laughs> studio head said to me, just, just sing me just, just like five notes. Just, come, <laughs> just sing five notes. And I went, I, I, no, no, what do you mean? You know, I just thought it's, it was a thing. Yeah, it yeah. Thing. Yeah, and remains a thing. What about, aside from the um, production itself, but just how have, has your take on the material evolved, you know, over time, either passing of time in your own life or changes in you know what we're living through in our culture nowadays in the world H how has your experience of the piece uh shifted well it's clouded by the the shift in the in the audience yeah in in live circumstances yeah just taken on its own listening to it on its own and watching it on its own if i can just block all that out yeah it is a fantastic show yeah because it's it, it's like a tapestry where every single thread you know is woven and just becomes this gorgeous thing by act two you know people had their oh act two we don't need act two it should have ended with act one and i think yeah you're just that's just lazy yeah just, no <laughs> you know come on we're giving you act two which you should be uncomfortable and you should be moved and yeah. listen we've stopped listening. We're only watching. Yeah. And it makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I actually, when I saw this new production, I felt like act two seemed more accessible to me than ever before, just because it felt so relatable. Like the apocalypse that they're experiencing didn't, it didn't even feel dark. It felt just like life, you know? That's true. That that's absolutely true. All the more reason to um, 
take solace, you know, in the fact that there's something on stage reflecting what you're going through. Yes, absolutely. It's metaphorical, people. It doesn't have to be literal. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it should be of some comfort that there has existed in the world people who hold, that's what art does. It holds up the mirror, you know, to the times you live in. And mm. you, should, you should take heart that you are, as the song says, you are not alone if no. you'll be quiet and listen. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is the challenge for a lot of, of us today. Um, now, I keep missing your uh, solo show that you've done at 54 Below, which I, I can only hope that it's going to happen again because I, I can't keep missing it. Oh, it went, thank you. It went really, really well. And um, it's, uh, we did it, we did it years ago. And then they, twice or four times, and then they brought it back. And then, then again, they asked us, uh, we did it again just after the pandemic. Yeah. Like March and July or something like that. And uh, every time I do it with uh, with the same musicians and, and these three fabulous, talented singers who came together to become the Moontones and Jeff Kleitz, my music director, uh, every time we do it, it means something more to me because I wrote it right after my parents. They were they were right after they died, and they died very close together. Mm. And, and then since with that time, uh, when I do it, every time I do it, it's just it, it's richer. It's a richer experience for me. You know, people respond to it. It's very funny, but it's also not a, it's not a nightclub piece. And that no. 50 Foot Below keeps having us come, you know, to, I got a beautiful letter from Richard Frankel uh, about what it is to put this show up in a, essentially a bar, you know, a restaurant yeah. and a bar, nightclub, but that it holds, it's 70 minutes and, and it's, a, it's a play. It, it, it does well in a theater. I've done it in a theater twice in LA and then up here in Connecticut, a gorgeous like you know 500 seat house and it really is it's a show with nine people in it but um yeah i might do it again i'd love to do it again i hope you do is there any of the music from into the woods in it None. no look at that really not a nightclub act. no the very first show i did back in 2013 i felt obliged because i'm not a cabaret artist i felt yeah. obliged to put in all the kind of you know the things people know so yeah the, the chip came up once and jimmy naughton came up once and you know mm there were things from every show and it was woven together with an autobiographical narrative and it worked and, and, uh, and that all worked and it was, I'm told really good and effective, but I wasn't, I wasn't happy with it. I felt I was, um, I felt I was uh, uh, an alien in a, in a land that was not mine. Mm. You know, the cabaret world is a very specific bunch of incredibly talented people, but there is this, it opened up that 54 Below said, what have you got now? I said, I have a, this new show, which was already a few years ago. And they said, we want it. You know, yeah. we didn't have to sort of send it to them or anything. And it's it's done very well. It's done very well there. Well, I, I definitely need to see that. And well, I, you know, I think I may have like a, a kind of, they did a, they, they, they filmed it. They, they taped it. So oh, there was wonderful. a simulcast that you could buy at the time, but I think I have that tape. So maybe. Oh, wonderful. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I, th I mean, that should be available as a companion piece to uh, all the, jo now I was going to say all the Joanna Gleason collection. You've also, now you've recently directed a film. Yes. Oh, let me tell you that last Ooh. night was the premiere in Cambridge, England, uh, the international premiere of a short film that I did. Um, called Morning and Tonight, which also was selected for the Los Angeles International Short Film Festival. But I then wrote and directed a feature film called The Grotto, which just won in, at the Heartland International Festival it just two, three weeks ago or two weeks ago. It won the best narrative feature premiere. Oh, so, congratulations. Yeah, That's we're exciting. so excited. We're really, really excited about it. And uh, yeah, uh, there's lots of interest in it and, you know, more festivals and things like that. Okay, so that is going to be details to be announced soon where it will be available for people to to see for themselves and is morning and tonight streaming anywhere that people can watch it no when these no at the unless it's streaming on the cambridge uh film festival uh because it but what heartland did was you could for 14 dollars to support the festival you could download the movie and watch it uh, which yeah. a lot of people did yeah so it's possible right now that morning and tonight is available you know this week or however long oh is. wonderful okay so we'll look at came well this podcast will be out after that so, okay, so, no, so then you can't see it <laughs> but i selfishly can um that's wonderful oh that's so cool i mean was so with was morning and tonight the first one that you directed 
Yeah, I had directed in television for CBS and for Lifetime over mm. the years. But this was my saying to myself, do a short first. Yeah. And direct, we shot it in two and a half days. All friends up here in Connecticut. Same production team that did the grotto. And we got it done. And I thought, okay, this is the calling card to get people to be interested in, in reading the script for the, the feature film. And I was incredibly lucky that eventually, over time, with some near misses or, you know, I guess near misses of oxymoron, but uh, a woman read it and I didn't even have to pitch it. She read the script and said, I'm in. So, yeah. That's fantastic. I imagine actually starting with right uh, as you were in Into the Woods, certainly by the time you'd won the Tony for it, there must have been a lot of doors that opened up due to that performance. Yes, they did. And it's nice. It's nice because it's a reference point. Yeah. Tony winner, Joanna Gleason. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 And so that it, it, it's a little bit of a point of identification, you know, just like, yeah, no, she rose to this level here. So, you know, <laughs> it's been helpful. I mean, I, I, I would hope that restores my faith in show business. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it is such a wonderful performance. I mean, like, do you, um, did you ever have any desire to direct Into the Woods? No. 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 Direct, directing theater, uh, which I've only done on a tiny level, is a, is a whole different whole different kettle of fish. And yeah. to direct that show, I would have to bring something to it that made it worth, you know, doing again. And I've seen versions that are so inventive and so yeah. that those that really you know, firmly held visions of the directors who have mounted it. And so, and I didn't have one. So better, better left to those people. Did you see the uh, Fiasco Theater production? It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's part, part of what's so wonderful about having the preservation of your original production is that I think as a fan, at least, I don't feel like I need to be precious with Into the Woods. People could do any version they want to do, and I feel game as an audience member because yes. they can't touch what we have, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's um, it's beloved going in. Do you know yeah. I mean? There's nothing left to prove. And so it is just to enjoy. But as I say, most of the audience is reflecting on their their own experience with it. Yeah. You know, being in it. Seeing yeah. their kids do it, you know, so, so it's familiar. I mean, do you prefer um, working on original material um, for that reason? Yeah. I, and I've been really lucky, Ben. I mean, I really have. I did Stephen Caram's play, you know, Sons of the Prophet. Yeah. I've, I've done um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was, you know, when you get to go in, even I Love My Wife, the first thing I did, I've been lucky enough to be the first person to play. Yeah characters going forward and for me that's really where it's at yeah well but now everybody else just has to revive the parts that you create <laughs> <laughs> and make their own <laughs> make yes their yes own. um were, are there any revivals that you would want to do any shows that you've just loved i said to somebody not so long ago in an interview i think all that's left for me now is you know is is raisins liaisons in in <laughs> Well, first of all, I would pay to see that, but I, I'm, I feel there are other roles. Wheel me, wheel me on, give me the song, close my eyes, wheel me off, get in the car, come home. You know? I mean, I don't know. In musicals, I don't think so. I really yeah. don't think there are, there are any, um, I don't think it'll be a musical. If and when I do come back, it'll be a play. Yeah. And, you know, I would like it to be uh, uh, something that's, you know, I just read something that Patty said recently in some, uh, interview about her being built for eight shows a week you know she yeah. is which is astonishing and, and she's it's breathtaking that that's her engine patty lapone is there another yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look who i'm talking to <laughs> uh I, I don't know that i'm built for eight shows a week you know what i'm saying i'm directing means you get up at dawn and you're going your your days are 16 17 18 hour days and it's 100 questions a day and it's logistics and sandstorms and rain and heat and freezing yeah and I never was tired for five minutes no and but I was also there you know I live yeah. we live in Connecticut now so New York is a couple hours away and am I built for eight shows a week and if the part came along that was just like I have to do this then yeah. I, would, I would do it yeah well I I will certainly hope that that something comes on along that that tempts you yeah, into yeah you never know um I 
I guess uh, that's really all my questions about about Into the Woods. I, I'm I'm just uh, I I'm just sort of so blown away uh, talking to you because. You, there's it feels and I don't this might just be the genius of the performance but it, that it feels like I know you from that performance you know if you give so much of a of a person and a humanity uh in that performance as the baker's wife thank you I, I think what James and Steve both saw was was to keep and wisely was to keep that character uh metabolically close to me mm. because they liked my you know, the sort of energy that I bring anyway, mostly. Yeah. They, they let her mind work that way at yeah. that speed. Do you know what I'm saying? They let the humor be at that speed. So it was a good, it was a good fit, which they made, you know, into couture. I mean, it was already yes. going to be okay. And then they just tailored it right to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's such a great mix of like, uh, just such an intellectual uh, center and then this kind of like, <laughs> just like this like comedy, like just like sort of just having fun with it, you know? It, it's fun, but it, it's also that the, the way of looking at the world is a very urban way of looking at the world. Mm. And she and the baker, as I said, were more, you know, urban transplanted to the, to the forest, you know, they're in the woods there with, there's apparently there's a kingdom over there and there's a crazy woman next door. And you know, yes. So, so that it, it it was fun to play her that way. Will you say more about what in what way it's an urban way of looking at the world? Um, understanding irony. Mm. Uh, understanding her her whole song is about uh, a self reflection that she would not have had just going you know day to day. Yeah, moments in the woods is truly. Uh, an internal process. It's an yeah. process of, wow, I have just experienced something, but I do have the the vocabulary and the way to work it out. And she works it out in the song. Mm. You know, a simpler character would have said, you know, like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And maybe I should go home. And I don't know. And, you know, oh, wow, that was fun. And that's not the baker's wife. The baker's wife is, hang on. You know, I don't want to lose this other thing has its value. This was just a moment and it's not real. So it, it's very, it's, um, you know, she gets, she gets wisdom and then she dies, <laughs> you know. But it, it is such wisdom. I mean, it's uh, even among Sondheim songs, which would probably all be closer to that than anyone else's songs. But even among Sondheim songs, it feels like the, the, the thought process inside that song is so rich and so clear and so deep and just exactly like you say, I mean, the, the reflection as she's working it out, it, you can really follow her thoughts one little yeah. bolt after another. Right, but look what he did, you know, with, with finishing the hat. Look what he did, you know, for, for the character of George in, yeah. in the park and oh, actually most of his characters. Um, this was also a female character who gets to work things out like that. Yeah. Which which I appreciated. But then so does Cinderella. Yeah. And it's yeah. articulate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's articulate, it's self-reflective. And you know, it's I mean, he he did not stint with the women. Um and, and that's one of the great that's one of the reasons why I was so taken with his work when I first saw it. It's just the women were smart. Yeah. They were smart. And they didn't have to play. They didn't have to play coy and they didn't have to play stereotypically uh, bewildered and only responsive. They were initiative in their thought. And mm -hmm. that's how that was Steve and James. Well, it took a smart woman to play a smart woman. And oh, uh, where I'm just I'm just such a fan and I'm so grateful to you for for talking to me about it. And this was a pleasure, just a pleasure. Oh, you're a pleasure, Joanna. I'm gonna I'm gonna seek out uh, your your films uh, oh, that you directed. Yes, yeah, yeah, see if you can find see if you can find Morning and Tonight. It's fifty. Yeah. It's, it's 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 it comes from my life. It comes from it's about my parents, as was my show. But this is a slightly different take. And then maybe I'll see if I can sneak you. Don't listen, everybody. 
I'll see if I can sneak you my, my 54 bullets. Please, I didn't know it was about your parents and I'm fascinated by your parents. So oh, it's also about me and Chris and it, the, my show, it, it's it's very fun. There's a, there's a set piece in there about Nick and Nora and Arthur Lawrence. I will not give it away. I, I'm sure that is a scream as in itself. Yeah, but, hour. yeah. But uh, you're, you're wonderful. Thank you so Thanks, much. Jen. My great pleasure. Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Check out episode six with Howard McGillan, who played Cinderella's Prince and the Wolf in the Playwrights Horizons workshop. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.